0: Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're joining us online, whether you're still on spring break, we still love you. Tune in sometime. If you're just coming back from spring break, welcome back. If you're here on the floor, uh, way up in the balcony, it is good to be together. Well, it's Palm Sunday. It's Easter week. It's Holy Week. We just sang a song, Hosanna. Hosanna. Save us and have your way in us. I want you to think about that for a minute. Hosanna, which means, you know, save us and come have your way in us. Save us, grace, the gospel, and have your way in us. Lead us into greater obedience. That's the call. That's the challenge. Now today, as we think about Palm Sunday, as we... Picture Jesus riding into town. He will be the one who will save us. And here we are in Romans chapter 7, and we have Paul writing to the early church. We see Paul with this audience of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians trying to bring unity to this multi-ethnic group of, uh, of house churches. And what's really important, and, and he's We've we've read through chapters 1 through 7, it's been so much about grace and so much about how I am made right with God, not through my own works, but through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We've talked about justification, we've talked about redemption, about how God has paid the price for us. I can't wait to get to Romans 8 in the next few weeks and we talk about how we are adopted, how we can become a child of God. But here we are in Romans 7, and we see Paul wrestling with sin. Paul is in the battle, and we're going to get this window into Paul's struggle with sin. And Paul's going to address this in a a theological context. In other words, Who is God? What is the nature of God? What is the nature of salvation? All these big ideas. We've been talking about this concept of the already and the not yet. Jesus has already died. Jesus has already risen. Jesus, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, he has already saved us. There is a not yet, there is a future hope. Just as Jesus rose, so too will you and I rise. There will be no more sin and suffering and pain and all that. What a glorious hope. But yet we live in the right now. We live in the midst of the battle. So we have this teaching about grace. It's not what I've done, but I'm in the battle. So in some ways, this can be a heavy theological discussion, but it's very practical. Very practical. I'm reminded of a, my last year of teaching. And I had a conversation uh, uh, with a parent whose kid had uh, plagiarized a paper. Full-on plagiarism. Senior, scholarship lined up, plagiarized the paper. It was one of those classes where there was only a couple papers, and this was going to mean he would fail the class. And he would lose scholarship money. And I remember the conversation with the parent, and it was... Yes, my kid has sinned. Yes, my kid has done wrong. But don't we live in the age of grace? Isn't there grace for my kid? How about this? How about my kid rewrites the paper, and I want you to think about it as a down payment for future good behavior. What? But it brings to mind the tension between grace and the law. What God has done for me, what is my responsibility to obey the law? And this is what we're going to wade into in chapter 7. And I want to walk you through this text. We're going to to wrestle through it. I want you to think about we are going to uh, watch Paul wrestle with sin. I want you to see that wrestling match. I want us to have some insight Into that. So I want to take you to Romans 7, verse 7. Paul says this What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Now, the I here is Paul, there's some debate. Among uh, commentators, that's what commentators do, they like to debate, they like sometimes to make simple things more complicated. But some commentators say, uh, the I, this is Paul before he was converted, some say he was somewhere in the process. The most compelling view in my mind is, this is Paul as he continues to wrestle with Christ, even as a follower of Christ. That's the position I'm going to take today as we walk through this. There are great, solid scholars that would think differently. Uh, If you're really interested in that debate, uh, I can point you to some resources. So what is the law? What is its purpose? Well, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The law, God's standard. What does the law do? What's the purpose of the law? The law points out sin. It's the MRI machine. It's the CT scan. It's the PET scan that looks deeper and deeper and deeper. There may or may not be something on the surface, but what is underneath that needs pointed out? Let's continue. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. I want you to think about the word covet for a minute. What does it mean to covet? It means you want something that somebody else has. And you want it badly. There's a desire there. Now, I want you to think about the Ten Commandments for just a second, when we think law, it's, it's more than that, but we tend to think of the Ten Commandments. And I want you to think especially of 5 through 10. 5, honor your parents. 6, don't murder. 7, don't commit adultery. 8, don't steal. 9, don't lie. And 10, don't covet. 5 through 9, there is an external, behavioral display of breaking that commandment coveting is something on the inside now now breaking 10 can lead to the others but coveting is something on the inside it is at the level of desire it's a look at the sin underneath the sin again we're going through the mri machine this morning a little bit i want you to take your heart through the scan this morning now, how does sin work? Part of what Paul is after in the book of Romans is how does sin work? Well, he says this in, you know way back in chapter 1. He says, uh, even though we, we know God, we fail to worship Him. We worship created things rather than the Creator. That's our core problem. There is a heart-level desire to worship God someone, or something else. This is where the problem is. Let's continue. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died, the very commandment that promised life Proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Now, Paul's going to picture sin. He's going to personify sin. He's going to turn sin into something that is active. How does this work? How does this process work? We have echoes all the way back to Adam and Eve, we go all the way back to Genesis 3. We go back to the garden where God said, hey, do whatever you want, but don't eat from this tree. Don't do it. I'm giving you that one command. It's a long story. It's a short story with a lot of implications. But how does sin and temptation work? Satan, the evil one, the snake come, you know, did God really say this? Is God really good? Can you really trust Him? Who is God to tell me what to do? It's an age-old problem. It's the commandment that stirs things up. What's at the heart of sin? My desire to take God's place, to usurp His authority. That's ultimately where the root of sin can be found. Sin is active. Sin is seizing the opportunity. Now, how does this work? Let me give you some practical examples. How does sin work? Anybody do their taxes? Anybody do your taxes on your own? You do your taxes, and, and at least the program I use, it's, it's got a running count of what you're going to get back or what you're going to owe. Green is good, red is bad. Are you with me? So you work on those taxes. You like the green, you like seeing the green go up. But what if you say this, what if I just did a little bit here? Maybe I exaggerate that donation here, maybe I minimize this income here, and I like seeing that green go up. I want you to think of that thought process. If you say this, if your primary question to yourself in this is, can I get away with it? Will I get caught? You have already lost the battle. Because what have you done? You've shifted who you're reporting to. You've shifted it. I've shifted it. Think about how many times, I don't know about taxes, whatever it is, but how many times do we shift what does God say, what does God see to will I get caught? And I could keep going. I could could run myself through the MRI machine and say, well, don't I trust God to provide? What about my character? Am I being deceptive? Maybe I'm coveting. Maybe I want something with that money. Maybe I've got to lie about something. Oh, and I'm off and running. I mean, we're we're down a spiral of problems. You go through the MRI machine and you keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Let me give you another example. Um, Operation Varsity Blues. Anybody seen the Netflix documentary? It's about the college admission scandal. It's about where they would all these incredibly rich families would pay exorbitant amounts of money to get their kids into the best schools. They'd rig something up where somebody would proctor the SAT for them. This guy was a genius. He would get a $1,500 on the SAT as he proctored it, doctored up the test and all that. I mean, it's an extensive scandal. But as I was watching it, that you see some parents who are wrestling with this, Is this the right thing to do? No. But then one parent said, I don't don't have a moral issue with it. All I care about is, will I get caught? If that's your question, if you've shifted that responsibility, shifted that authority, whatever that scan is, is saying, we got problems here. It is beeping. Pay attention. Let me give you one more quick story. This one's personal. I don't know why this came to mind, but I was reminded of, uh, this is like 30 years ago. I'm a sophomore in college. I'm playing football. And I'm, on, um, I'm, not, I'm not starting. I'm playing on special teams, you know, like kickoff, kickoff return, punt team, punt return, all that. And I, I'm on the punt return team, so the punter kicks it, It goes like 40 yards away, and the punter's just standing there. And I'm just standing there. What's going through my mind? Boom! So I go knock the punter down. I looked around, I saw that the ref wasn't there. There was no reason for me to do that. But you know what? I kind of enjoyed it. I really did. I enjoy doing that. Sometimes we do things just because it's, we can. There was no advantage to that. The play was miles away. Now, I happened to be right in front of the other bench, and they didn't like it very much. But I was thinking, you know, okay, as I look back, as I was in a weird way, sometimes it's weird the illustrations God gives me, but I was thinking, what was underneath that? Well, I was really upset that I wasn't starting. There was some frustration there. There was some pain there. I didn't think this was right. I didn't think it was fair. So somebody else needed to pay. Boom. That's really I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but as I look back, as I go through that scan, that's kind of where I was. Sometimes that's how sin works. We just do it because we can. Okay. Now, when we think about this process of following Jesus, It's not just about exchanging the external behavior. It's about heart level inside out. How do I become, through my relationship with Jesus, the type of person who naturally does the right things? Now, we have this conflict. Most people at the time would have thought I was a pretty nice guy. Some of you know me better, knew me back then. You can say, oh yeah, I can see it. But we're divided. We have this conflict. Now let's go back to the text. Verse 12, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Part of what Paul's saying here is the law isn't the problem. The commandments aren't the problem. When you go under the MRI or the CT scan or the PET scan and, and, and you see that you have a tumor, you don't blame the scanner. You don't blame the technician. You're thankful that it has revealed what is eating you up inside. The law convicts us of sin and it aggravates the sin. It stirs things up. The reality of the growth of sin, it can become sinful beyond measure. Sin can multiply. There can be a spiral of sin, a spiral of breaking the law. Sometimes the cover-up can be worse than the crime. The, The law reveals the depth of our sin, the depth of our misalignment, it reverts, uh, reveals the damage that's inside. Verse 14: For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. The law is good, the law comes from God, the commandments are good, but I have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. We have a propensity to sin. Both things are true. Paul continues. Again, he's going to give you some insight. For I do not understand my own actions. Have you been there? Why did I do what I did? I don't understand what I, why I do what I do. I don't really want to do the wrong thing. Paul continues. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. So what is it you really hate? What's the core problem? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. There's the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. At some level, that's the battle we're all in. What I want to do, what I think is right, what I know is right, and what I actually do are misaligned. They are disintegrated. Part of following Jesus is having a life that is whole, a life that is consistent, a life that is integrated around our love for God, our love for others, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Sin is a disintegration of those things. I can do one thing here and a different thing over here. There is a divided self. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sin is right there. What happens when we sin? We're becoming less than what we were created to be, less of an image bearer. There is a dehumanizing disintegration that is occurring. Paul continues, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I want you to think about that. You want to do right, I've got the, I want to do this, but evil is close at hand. Part of what Paul has in mind here. Take you back again to Genesis. Go to Genesis 4 and Cain and Abel. God likes Abel's sacrifice better. Cain is upset. Cain is ready to kill his brother. and God will speak to Cain and say, sin is crouching at your door. Don't let it overtake you. This word crouching, it's like an animal on all fours. I won't get down, I'll pull something. But it is ready to spring. It's lying there, it is ready to spring. That's the process. Sin desires to rule over you, but you must rule over it. Again, evil saying, did God really say that? Is God really good? Can I really trust God? Back to Paul, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I think this is really, really important. And this is why I think personally that this passage is primarily about Paul as a believer. Because he is delighting in the law of God. He is reminiscent of Psalm 1. of meditating on the law, of delighting in what is good, finding joy in the law, joy in God's commands, joy in the big story of the Bible. "'For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, my body, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members.'" Again, here is the conflict. It's not just externally, but it is on the inside. So on the one hand, Paul, depth of a relationship with God, he delights in God's law, and he is still fighting the battle. He's still struggling. There is another law that is waging war. There's the spirit, there's the flesh. As we think about this week, Easter week, Holy Week, we're reminded of Jesus as he's in the garden praying in Gethsemane. He gets his inner circle. Peter, James, John, come with me. Pray for me. What do they do? While well, Jesus is wrestling. <sighs> they fall asleep. Jesus says, Couldn't you even do it for a little bit here? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the conflict. Spirit, flesh, that's the conflict. And then Paul says this, verse 26. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man. This is Paul. Paul who's written, you know, a great deal of the New Testament. Paul who's seen all these things. Paul who was on the road to Damascus. Has seen the risen Christ. Started all these churches. Wretched man that I am. What's wretched mean? Miserable. Eugene Peterson in the message says it's saying, I'm at the end of my rope. Why is Paul so wretched? Why is he so miserable? I think at some level he understands what his sin has done to Jesus. He gets that. He understands the depth of his sin. So, what does that produce in us? when we come to that conclusion? Well, there's humility. I can go all the way back to what God has already done for me on the cross. I think there's an application point that we can't forget. When I understand the wretchedness of myself, when I see my own sin, I ought not to be judgmental towards others. When I see that, clearly that affects the way I see others. So what's the answer? What's the response? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, what a wretched man am I! Who can rescue me? Palm Sunday, Jesus is riding into town on a rescue mission. Paul is thankful. Jesus, Jesus alone... Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone is the only thing that will save me. That's what Paul grasps. Now, there's an exclamation point here. You didn't have that. That's just kind of an English-type thing to give an emphasis. We could stop it there and say, oh, Paul is 100% victorious in Christ. And there's victory there, but what's he say? So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The battle is still going on. There's still a battle. Now, I believe as we we look at this text... As we see this window for Paul, I want you to think for a minute. We see Paul, we see this window into his battle. I believe there are at least three, I'm going to call them realities that we need to grasp. The first, I am a wretched sinner. Not just I was, but I am. Can you say that today? Do you believe that to be true? Some of you may look back and you remember that day, God rescued you, God pulled you out of something. And sometimes we can have that tendency to say, that was then, well, I've... Maybe I've arrived right now. If Paul can say, (laughs) what a wretched man am I? Yeah. Guilty. Guilty. If you haven't looked in the mirror and kind of said that, not a bad idea. Let's, Let's think about that. The second reality, I'm certain of my forgiveness. Why am I certain of my forgiveness? Because it is not dependent upon what I've done. I didn't earn it. I didn't have to go to the way of the law and meet a certain score to be accepted. That cross. We think about what happens on Good Friday. So I have the humility that comes from the acknowledgement that, yes, I am wretched, I am a sinner. The hope, the confidence, the assurance that says, it doesn't depend on what I've done. I've got to hold those two. Humility, hope. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've been forgiven. I've got to hold those two. But don't forget the third thing I want you to understand. God is with me in the battle. God is with me in the Because the reality of the Christian life, and I could take you to a lot of other places. Paul in Ephesians 6 is going to talk about spiritual warfare and the battle that we're in, but God is with us in the battle, He is present. His Holy Spirit is in us. Paul has already said earlier, we now serve in the new way of the Spirit. The Spirit reminds us who we are. Romans 8, we're going to get into all that, that I'm a child of God, that God is nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ. So humility, hope, presence of God. Those are three realities. I want those to sink in for you. I can't take any one of those away. If I think I've arrived, pride. <laughs> if I think I've... If I, if I lose my confidence, there's fear. If I don't acknowledge the Spirit and have a relationship with the Spirit, I am alone. I need those three. And again, as we see Paul... The Apostle Paul, go through this, we can learn from him. Now, it's Easter week. Let me give you some what nows. Some what nows. Number one, I want to challenge us all to intensify your focus on Jesus this week. Intensify, let's turn it up a notch. Let's get some focus on Jesus. This is Easter week. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday, but this is a time in the year where we slow down for a minute, we pause, and let's intensify our efforts. There's a time piece to this. There's an attitude piece. As a church, we're giving you some tools. You've got a daily devotion. We've set up a prayer experience. We've got a Good Friday service. We've got... Resurrection Sunday services. The next few weeks we're going to be in Romans 8. Read ahead. There's so many good things in Romans 8 to help you understand how you fight the battle and what the truths are there about the Holy Spirit. But i got to make a commitment. Grace doesn't mean I have a license to coast. Right? Grace doesn't mean I have a license to coast, to drift. Second thing, go get a scan. (laughs) Go get a scan. I'm getting a literal scan this week. Hopefully everything's still good. But open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Open yourself up to somebody you love and trust and say, take a look inside my heart for a minute. Where am I off? The worst thing if something is in there is to let it go untreated. Whether you get a scan or not, it's there. Would you have the humility and openness to get a scan? I want us to thank Jesus for what he has already done, is doing, and will do. As we talk about sin, this is convicting stuff. But here's the good news of the gospel there's hope. There is hope for you. As you look at this, as you process this, maybe you're somebody who's like, I've never really actually put my faith and trust in Christ. Don't leave today without considering that, talking to somebody, talk to me, pray to God. But don't leave without examining yourself and saying, hey, it is time for me to put my faith and my trust in Christ. I can pray in my seat and do that. I can come talk to somebody. I can simply say, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe I can't save myself. Hosanna, save me. And finally, I challenge you to invite someone to join you on your journey. If the cross is real, if the empty tomb is real, We ought to celebrate that and share it. And here's what's really, um, I think, compelling and inviting. The combination of humility and hope that the gospel brings. May we share that this Easter week. Now, as we Remember that Jesus is present with us in the battle. As we identify with Paul, as we remember, as we think about identifying with the life, death, resurrection of our Lord, as we come together as a church family at the communion table, I want to invite you to do something. I want you to take out the the bread and the cup for a moment. I want you to simply hold the wafer in one hand and the cup in the other. Don't, don't eat or drink yet. I want you to just hold those in your hand. I would invite you to just be open-handed with those things. Hold on to those things with open hands. And as you reflect on God's words, I would invite you to just take a minute and examine your heart. In about a minute, I will lead us through actually receiving the bread and the cup. But right now, I would just invite you to to bow your head. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And pause, be silent, and receive what the Lord has for you as he speaks to your heart in these moments. And then just a minute we'll receive the elements together.